This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. With that, I welcome you into what will be a very encouraging and educational edition of Equip. Those of you who are veterans to the program know my passion for family. As a matter of fact, I do believe that family should be the primary place where the gospel is displayed in our lives. But it's also uh, the most challenging place. Really, it's ground zero for how the gospel plays itself out. It's the place where we are most humbled, also the place of hopefully the greatest sources of celebration this side of heaven. But if the gospel is going to be played out in our lives, we are going to see the massive complexity that comes along with that. And one of the areas in which God sanctifies us, grows us, if you will, forms us, is in the area of parenting parenting. And so today I want to talk about parenting, but a specific form of parenting. Now, all parenting is humbling, but I would say adoptive parenting has its own unique uh, pains and joys, if you will. Many of you know I'm an adoptive dad. I'm grateful for all of my children, uh, three through adoption, three through um, uh, biological children, and all of it is God's love story written for our family, and we wouldn't have it any other way. But yet, when we think about adoption, one of the areas that we uh, often fail to see is the complexities of cross-cultural parenting. What does it mean to adopt a child into your family that maybe comes from a different ethnic heritage that has uh, different biological features than you and your spouse, and yet you want to raise them in a world that may see them differently as well. How do you navigate all of that? There hasn't been many resources, but recently I've come across one that I am so excited about, and I can't wait to introduce you to the resource and the author. The book is entitled, It Takes More Than Love, subtitled A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. Brittany Salmon is the uh, author. She's a professor, a writer, and Bible teacher. Uh, She has her degrees from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and uh, from North Carolina State University. She also is pursuing her doctorate uh, as we uh, talk. Brittany is passionate about taking theology and applying it to everyday life, but she is also an adoptive mom. Her and her husband, Ben, have four beautiful children, and she joins me today. Hey, Brittany, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, thank you for joining, and thank you for writing uh, the book that all of us have been waiting to be written. You know, it's kind of like you're <laughs> humming a tune in your head, and then next thing you know, somebody walks alongside of you, and they're humming the same tune, 
and you're like, wow, that's in your head as well. Um, talk a little bit about how this book came into being. Well, Chris, I mean, it's one of those things, like you said, it's a book that whenever I started the adoption process the first time, it's one that I looked for. It's one that I longed for. Um, when we started our adoption journey, I, I tried to consume all books on adoption, Christian books on adoption, secular resources on adoption, just wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. And then when we realized that we were going to be a cross-cultural adoptive family, again, I kept looking for some sort of resource that went beyond just basic skin and hair care, um, talked more about racial identity and from a Christian perspective, and it just wasn't there. And so we kind of navigated this life by, by ourselves for a few years. Um, but we did it in the context of our local church and with friends and family watching. And um, a good friend from Moody Publishers one day reached out and said, hey, there's a hole in the publishing industry. Would you be willing to write about what you and your husband have lived out the last six years? And uh, I, we prayed about it asked our you know family and friends to consider praying about it and ultimately we said yes and so that's how the book kind of came alive um but like you said it, we kind of went alone for a season well you know i i'm so grateful that you've taken your story and made it available and accessible for everyone i love the way you start the book because in many ways the way you start the book is where i'm at now in my journey we became adoptive parents just under uh 18 years ago and uh, this journey has kind of hardened us in some ways uh, while remaining yeah. soft to the beauty of the gospel that's reflected through adoption. But you say a statement that most would not expect an adoption book to open with. Here's how you open. I have a love-hate relationship with adoption. I wonder how the publisher <laughs> felt about that opening line. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where um, I, I will say that the, the Trulia Newbell was the one who asked me to write this book. And when she got my manuscript, I mean, she knew what my heart was and she knew yes. what the content coming after that would come through. And so, yeah. um, they were always very supportive, but I have, it's, it's a little bit shocking, a little bit jarring, but I think people who have been in cross-cultural adoption spaces for a bit of time, they resonate deeply by saying, yeah, we love Man, I love being a parent to my kids. It is one of my greatest privileges and joys on this earth to be a parent to the kids that God has brought into our home. At the same time, the fact that their first family situation was broken and that they have experienced trauma and heartache, um, if I could take it away, I would. And so as much as I love being an adoptive family, I hate the brokenness that brought about adoption. Yeah, when you think about adoption, I think you sum it up really well in one of your opening paragraphs. You say this, adoption is complex. It's joy and suffering and loss and gain and hope and disappointment all in one. And you don't fully understand or know that on the front end. You know, I tell people all the time, I get, I, I often get calls from folks or requests from folks that say, hey, we know a family that's thinking about adopting. Could you talk to them? And my response (laughs) is, I'm certainly willing to do that, but please know I'm beyond the point of over-romanticizing adoption. And what I mean by that is I think, again, adoption is beautiful, and I'm so grateful for the gift that God has given me and our family. You know, we've gained so much through adoption, but yet I also realize there's a real trauma here 
that needs to be understood, and you don't fully understand it uh, on, on the front end. There are different levels, different marks, different points in their journey of development that, where they awaken to more and more of the trauma, and uh, and we have to respond. Talk about that journey for you. How did you guys become adoptive parents, and how has your view of adoption uh, matured? Well, I think like you, when we got into adoption, it was one of those things where we were so excited. We felt like God called us to this. And, and um, you know, not everyone, I knew that not everyone was called to this, but we felt like, oh, hey, our family could do this. And we were thrilled. And a lot of the narrative surrounding adoption at the time was really more like recruitment language. So it's a lot of positive language. Everybody should adopt. Everyone should foster. Like if you, if you can, if you're believers and you're married and you're loving yes. Jesus and you've got a sound family, y'all should adopt. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just didn't necessarily buy into that fully, but I did think, Hey, we could do that. Hey, that, that's kind of the hook that got us in, um, a little bit at the time. And so we, um, you know, entered it with kind of rose, colored glasses thinking this is going to be really beautiful look at god's redemption story for this child um but i will say my rose colored glasses broke pretty quickly um i remember when we went into the hospital to meet our the the it was our first adoption um and our son and all of a sudden the heaviness and the sadness and the grief of watching a mother yeah place her child for adoption and then walk out of a hospital, empty arms. It crushed me. Um, And I just remember thinking, because I I also have biological children. And so I'd birthed children and they were actually spent time in the NICU. And I remember leaving the NICU at night and knowing I would come back the next morning and how as a mother, that just didn't feel natural. It didn't feel right to leave your newborns in a hospital and how it, it crushed me as a, as a biological mother. And then to apply that, in a permanent sense, um, I remember holding my son so overjoyed, so overjoyed to get to be his mom and so devastated that there was a break in his family. And I think that that little seed of both and of joy and sorrow and extreme joy and extreme sorrow, not just a little bit of both, but just very extreme emotions at the same time kind of planted a seed that grew that grew over time when we said this, this is a little bit more complex than what we were expecting. It's a little bit more nuanced than just, just joy. Yeah. You capture it in this, uh, this opening paragraph. And I love this statement. You say, do I earnestly believe that every child should have a safe and loving family? Yes, absolutely. Do I believe that adoption is the only way to achieve that goal? No. Do I believe that the best option is for children to be raised safely within their birth families and cultures? Of course. Is it always an option? Sadly, no. You go on and just explain this uh, dual emotion. And I think it's important to kind of state that up front, that what we're not trying to do is to give a uh, one-hour infomercial on how wonderful adoption is. What we're trying to do is to explain that just like uh, biological parenting, it will humble you, it will bring you joy, and ultimately drive you to deeper dependency upon Jesus. And if we're going to get parenting right in whatever form it comes to us in, we have to do it through a gospel lens. What I love about your book is that you do that. You lay a gospel framework for us to be able to take up some of the most important questions that come along with cross-cultural adoption. 
How do we celebrate a child's history and heritage? How do we confront racism when we encounter it? What is our response to comments about our family? What about avoiding the typical pitfalls of adoption and so much more? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, Brittany. But when we come back, I want to talk about a couple things. Number one, I want to talk about the forms of adoption uh, what are what are the various forms so that people can understand what does it mean to have an open adoption or a closed adoption or international or domestic? We can talk about that. But then I want to get into what are some of the unique realities of both the need for cross-cultural adoption and the challenges. Friends, this is going to be a very important edition of Equip. So much so that I'm asking for you to not only listen, but to share it. Uh, to go to our website, listen, and then after we're done, send out the link to friends who are thinking about adoption, to our adoptive parents, to pastors and leaders, so that we can all know better and do better. There's so much more to come with Brittany Salmon, so don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip. This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today, we're inviting you to embrace the beauty and the challenges of transracial adoption. As always, we'd love for you to join the conversation. Social media is available for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why don't you go there now, submit your questions and comments. I promise you, we'll read and we respond. Today, we're looking at a wonderful book written by author Brittany Salmon. She is an adoptive mom. And the book is entitled, It Takes More Than Love, A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. Why is there such a need, Brittany? What have you discovered about the massive need for uh, children of color to be adopted? You know, I think it's one of the things that got us into domestic infant adoption, which just means that we're adopting in the United States. Um, was that we were actually looking for inter- at be- adopting internationally. Um, but I had a friend in a smaller local adoption agency say, hey, um, I don't know if you know this, Brittany, but right now in our office, we have a multitude of black birth mothers or expectant mothers at the time who are making adoption plans. And there are we have a long list of waiting families, but they're unwilling to adopt specifically children of color, but more even more specifically black males. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, we have a shortage of families and we have women in our system who are wanting to make an adoption plan, but they don't have the same access to loving families as a white expectant mother would. And that's really what kind of caused us to pivot and go, hey, we can, we're, we're willing to do that. We would, we'd be more than willing to do that. Um, and we want to do it in an ethical way that honors the dignity of the expectant mom and um, also their culture. And we want to do it. So we want to be all in and learning and kind of shaping our life to be multicultural. Um, But at the time there was just not a lot of families willing to go there. Now I do think that has shifted some, um, but again, 
what the adoption industry needs as overall, and I should say ministries, but the adoption ministry means what I'm talking about, Christian adoption agencies, they need families, um, regardless of their ethnicity, who are willing to adopt children outside of their um, ethnicity, but who are also willing to learn about their child's ethnicity and become a truly multicultural family. They don't just need families who are willing to adopt, but they're willing, they need families who are willing to become multicultural families. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of laying that framework, and it is a sad reality. And and I say that as someone who's not only pro-family, pro-adoption, but also pro-life. So often the pro-life message that is proclaimed and uh, and should be rightfully the sanctity of all human life uh, is uh, produces a reality for the moms who choose life, who say, you know, I'm not going to abort my baby. Uh, I'm going to choose adoption uh, as an alternative. It's often a sad commentary that so often these children are unadoptable um, and uh, the need is is severe and great. Talk about the forms of adoption. I kind of alluded to that before we ended our last segment. What has been uh, your experience? What type of adoption uh, have you uh, guys done? And what are some of the forms for those who don't know? Yeah, so there's all different types of adoption. And so it can be really confusing if you're not in the adoption world to say, oh, you've adopted. Well, I have a friend over here. They've adopted. And we might have very different experiences um, because we adopted differently. So you can adopt internationally. So that just means that you're adopting a child from another country. Um, and there's all sorts of laws and things that are different that, that vary based on country. So a person who might adopt internationally from China might have a completely different experience from a person who adopts internationally from Romania. Um, and so every country has its different laws and rules and processes. And then you can adopt domestically, which just means that you're adopting within your same country. So for me, I'm in the United States. We adopted domestically. And so... Um, well, that just means we also did an infant adoption, which means that a birth or, or now it's a birth mother, but as a suspected mom chose a family and made an adoption plan and decided to place her child in our, within our family. So that's a domestic infant adoption. You can also adopt via foster care. And that's different because instead of um, a first family um, choosing adoption from birth, for whatever reason, for, there's a various reasons they're, they're, um, Relationship with their kids had to be strained at some point, and the children's put in foster care um, for a number of different reasons. So their relationship is strained, and then eventually, at some point, it means that the parental relationship is terminated, whether voluntarily or by a court, to yes. say that this parent is unsafe and unfit. Um, and so then the child is then available to be adopted into a family. And so again, all of these three—if you think about it—we have domestic, international, and then via foster care. There are three different roads to adoption that look very differently. Um, would you, if you're peeking in, you know, you have a child who can be adopted at an older age from um, another country, a child adopted at any age via foster care, and a child adopted from infancy because a parent chooses that. And that comes with its own different sets of trauma, own different sets of heartache, and own different really skill sets that are required to parent. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like we've uh, gone through every form of adoption. Our first was an older child <laughs> adoption, um, not through an agency. Our second one was international adoption. Our third one was a foster to adopt 
through a local agency. So we've experienced as a family these different forms, and uh, they are massively different. They are very, very different. But yet there are resources and wisdom out for each one. Let's talk about real quickly uh, the uniqueness of cross-cultural adoption, if we could. What is uh, so unique about this? And I say this at the backdrop that there is a tension, Brittany, between not wanting race, none of us want race or ethnicity to dominate the consciousness of our families, right? Like we all want to be able to live everyday life without that being such a consuming preoccupation. But, uh, but I think there's also the reality that to ignore it is to do much harm to uh, the child and, and to our family. So talk about that balance, Brittany, if you could. Yeah, well, I think one of the first things to acknowledge in a cross-cultural adoption is the adoption is visible. Um, you know, I actually have, we have two cross-cultural adoptions, and we're actually in the process for um, our our third adoption, child number five. Um, but our sons have different skin tones. Skin tones. One is African-American, and one is Hispanic, Puerto Rican, and Native American. Um, and so one has lighter skin, and one has darker skin. And my husband and I, just so everyone knows, I'm a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white woman. My husband is a strawberry blonde-haired man with blue eyes and light skin. And our biological daughters are blonde, blue-eyed, light-skinned. And so when we're walking around with our kids, um, it is obvious that we're a family unit, but it's obvious that our sons don't quite fit the, you know, they, they don't fit in a certain way. They're, they're, there's always a question. So it's either people are aware enough to go, oh, they're adopted, or oh, a lot of people sure. think, oh, they're foster kids. And I say, no, there are there are sons. Um, but their adoption is visible because of just our skin tones don't match. And that's just part of life. And so wherever we go in public as a family unit, we have to acknowledge race because everyone else acknowledges it. They see it. It's visible. It's the elephant in the room, even if it's not spoken aloud. And so we have to think about these things. Um, otherwise, and we want, we, cause we want to control the narrative. We don't want the world to create a narrative on our family. And so we look to scripture and we say, Hey, God made every human in the image, in his own image. And he called us good. And so black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Puerto Rican, Native American, we are all made in the image of God. And our differences are something that we celebrate and honor. And we kind of view it as like a a almost like a spiritual discipline in the fact of like we are reflecting the goodness of God by acknowledging and celebrating our unique ethnic heritages. You can submit your questions uh, via social media today. I want to create as much space as we can for education and learning. Brittany Selman is my guest. The book is It Takes More Than Love. And uh, I think from this conversation, you're getting the reason for the title, if you will, uh, thank God for love, but you need to understand, if you if you will, uh, the way that uh, trauma plays into this, the way that we experience the world differently. Maybe this is the book you've been waiting for, and you say, this is an answer to prayer. Chris, I need to get it. Well, that's why I wanted to have Brittany on. You can find out more at our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Click on today's program details. There you can find out how to order. It takes more than love. Uh, Brittany, talk about uh, the uh, conversations with our children about race and ethnicity. How do we prepare for that? 
You know, this is such a hard question, and it's one that I get asked a lot, especially by other white adoptive parents. Um, and one of the things that, you know, again, like you said, we nobody wants race to be the primary thing that we're constantly consumed with and talking about. However, as, as a, an adoptive family, and regardless of whether you have a um, Chinese-American child, a, um, you know, Hispanic-American child, one of the things that I, I always encourage other parents to say is, hey, listen, we want our kids to grow up as adults, to have a healthy racial identity and to know how to navigate this world as believers, but then also as within their their, their embodied physical, you know, self. So I, I walk around this world as a white blonde woman. I am a quarter Hungarian and I, I'm proud of that heritage. And so, but that's how I walk around this earth. I want my black American son to be able to walk around the United States of America, knowing who he is in God and who he is as what as our son. And so what we do and what I always encourage other parents to do is say, hey, we can't create a healthy racial identity for our kids. But what we can do is we can put planks in a bridge and help them kind of walk across that so they can build that themselves one day. And then they can build it while they're within our home. And we do that really by not being a monocultural family in function. We might have different skin codes, but we really just celebrate our culture, the parents' culture. But instead, we intentionally choose to live a multicultural life. We choose where we go to church. We choose where our kids go to school. We choose where we spend our money, the extracurriculars. And we're making sure that our kids' ethnicities are represented in those spaces. And we connect them to that. So good. Listen, no one is promising transracial adoption will be easy, least of all Brittany. But I will tell you this extra effort is so important for displaying the gospel and walking through this with your children in a redemptive way that grounds their identity in Jesus and also helps them to navigate living in the face of a fallen world. Friends, I can't commend this enough. Go to our website, find out more. I want you to stick and stay because when we come back, we're going to talk about how we can parent in a way that reveals the gospel and helps to reinforce cultural history and heritage as well. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Um. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful for our partners today. You know, it's your generosity and God's grace that allows us to be here each and every day to live out our mission, to equip Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend your faith. If the program has been a blessing to you, maybe the guests like today with the resources that we've been featuring have really spoken to your heart. Maybe there's been a prayer or words of wisdom that have been shared that have helped you on your journey. Can you stand with us today? Your one-time gift of 50 or 100 or even $500 helps us to meet our budget goal. Or maybe you want to become a monthly partner. Most do that at about a dollar a day, $30 a month. But your giving allows us to continue to remain on the air in your community, shining bright the gospel of Jesus, taking on the tough issues of our day with relevant and biblical answers. You can stand with us by dialing this number. It's 888-644-4144. Become an equipper, a partner today at 888-644-4144 or go to our website, equipradio.org 
and know that on the other side of your giving, that you're not giving to us as much as you're giving through us to change the world. 888-644-4144. My guest today, Brittany Salmon, uh, she's written a book, It Takes More Than Love, A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. I want to talk about the structure of the book, Brittany, because one of the things I love about your book is you're not just taking uh, a paternal approach. And what I mean by that, you're not just saying, hey, me and Ben have figured this out. We're writing a book to tell the rest of the world how to do this. It was important to you that the adoptee, the adoptee's voice was heard as well. Talk about the structure of the book. You know, Chris, whenever um, Julia asked me to write this book, immediately I knew I did not just want to write a book with just my voice. Um, I think one of the most important things that any adoptive parent can do is to listen in to other members of the adoption triad, which would essentially for those who aren't familiar with adoption is this triad. If you think about a triangle, one point would be the adoptive family. One point would be the adoptee and another point would be the first family. So a lot of times a birth mom. And, um, I really wanted to gather essays and have other voices a part of this book. And so one of my things that I'm most proud of in this book aren't my words, but it's the adoptee essays throughout the book. And it was such a cool thing to see how the Lord ordained and organized this. I didn't tell them what to write about. I didn't even say, hey, here are the topics I'm going to talk about. Um, I want you to, to pick one and go with it. I sent an email out to um, some friends and adoptees who I've uh, respected and learned from and met over the years and said, hey, if you could write an essay that would be read by adoptive parents, go for it. And let, let's see how it fits into the book. And so all of these essays were written without any sort of prompting or saying, hey, you write about hair care, or you write about this, or you write about race. Um, they all kind of wrote from their heart, and it fit perfectly with the structure of the book. And it was just, I mean, a total God thing. I'm so grateful. Um, but it's one of my favorite aspects of the book. We have a biracial son, and so helping him to understand these topics, uh, the issues that he's encountering uh, as he navigates the world has been one of our commitments to him. You say this, uh, that our goal is not to sever their relationship with their first culture. It is to hold uh, space for them to be able to build a bridge to it in whatever ways they're most comfortable one day. Um, talk about what that looks like practically. What does it mean to hold space for them? You know, I think holding space, when you think about that, like a, a, a placeholder, um, I'm not building, a. like I said, I'm not, I can't build a bridge for my kid. I can't do that. But what I can do is serve as a connector. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that our kids have access to teachers, to yeah. coaches, yeah. to friends, um, that people, the, the, that the only people of color around our dinner table aren't my children. Um, yes. you know, we've built a life to wear birthday parties and dinners and weekend celebrations and watching a football game involves a variety of people. And for, for one, even if we weren't adoptive, weren't an adoptive family, um, what a representation of the big C church of that, you know, one day when we get to heaven, um, it's not going to be a bunch of white people up there. It's going to be, all, you know, every tribe, nation, and tongue, and we're going to be worshiping Jesus and celebrating and living together in unity. And so we try to practice that here and now. And even doing that, we're giving our kids 
connections to relationships. They're able to see, hey, you know, Mr. Dante wears his hair like this and we're similar. So maybe I could ask him how he does his hair or, hey, Mr. Dante, what was your first experience with racism? Or Mr. Thomas, I'm curious when a kid asked you this in school, how did you respond? I'm not the primary resource because we build up connections and we kind of been placeholders and connectors for our kids where they have access to people from their first culture and they can ask those questions themselves and they can they can get wisdom from a variety of different sources not just their white mom and dad which again we we love our kids and you know as a mom i want to be everything for them but the reality is i can't and that's a good thing yeah and and i was just going to say really quickly that creating an environment in which they don't have to choose or feel the pressure of having to choose. You know, one of the things we've said to our son, uh, our biracial son, is that you don't have to feel the pressure to choose. You know, am I going to yeah. be black? Am I going to be white? I mean, it, it, it's all there. So embrace who you are. And we want to be able to make space where you don't have to uh, feel pressure that um, just because you were uh, adopted into uh, a predominantly African-American family, that that is the only cultural expression that you can embrace. You can embrace all of who God creates you to be beautifully, redemptively. You say it this way in your book, you cannot give your child their ethnic heritage, but you can be a bridge, a connector for your children to have access to others who can show them the way. Um, Talk about from a parenting side. I think I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the natural insecurities that come along with that as well. Because as parents, whenever we have to tread into areas where we're not the experts or unknown areas, it does produce some uh, insecurities, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And then you add even, you know, the political narrative when it comes to tension surrounding race, like, and everything's politicized, you know? And so it's one of those things where there are all sorts of insecurities as a parent going, I want to do this. Well, I want to talk about race. Well, in a way that honors the Lord, I want to talk about race. Well, in a way that honors my children and their first heritage. And there's, there's all sorts of insecurities of going, am I doing it right? What am I getting wrong? But I think as believers, one of the freedoms we have in Christ is, we don't have the pressure to be perfect because we know that Jesus came to save all of us who are sinners. And then I think in the freedom of going, I don't have to be the expert here. I don't have to get everything right. But what I do have to do is when I make a mistake, learn from it and do better. And if you're surrounding yourself with a community and having genuine relationships with people of different ethnicities where there's freedom to speak in mutual freedom to speak into each other's lives, that is such a gift because although it might be awkward at first, but the more you do that, you realize it actually makes a relationship deeper. Yes. And so having friends say, hey, Brittany, you know, you're doing this wrong. Or, hey, Brittany, have, did you know, remember one of our pastors who's African-American, when we first brought Jude home, he said, Brittany, don't you dare cut his hair within the first year of life. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, Brittany, you cannot cut right. that child's hair during his first year of life. And I said, oh, my word, thank you so much. And so instead of being met with, instead of being, being me being prideful yeah. or being defensive, saying, thank you. I welcome that feedback. I need that feedback. Um, yeah. it, it surprisingly has opened a number of doors and just saying, you know, I, acknowledging going, I'm not, I'm going to get wrong, but 
through God's grace and with his community, we're, we're going to do the best we can. And we're going to, we're going to love and support this child as best we can. You know, kind of um, incidental to the book, I'll say, is the reality of the fact that the church community should be a place where diverse families come together to demonstrate the power of the gospel, to unite us in Christ while being able to uh, experience the joys of our unique cultural heritages uh, and overcoming the cultural barriers that often separate us. And sadly, because of many reasons, not the least of which church growth theories from the 70s and 80s that actually work, most of our churches are unicultural. Uh, and, and the primary yeah. reason for that is because some church growth theorists uh, posited that, hey, the fastest way to grow a church is to limit diversity, to bring people together who share common um, uh, geographical background, common customs, common likes and interests. Well, though that may be uh, pragmatically better or easier for growing a church, it really is not a reflection of the New Testament where we see Jew and Gentile having to learn to work with one another, to honor one another, to love one another, having to understand what parts of our heritage and culture uh, does not align with the gospel that we can embrace. And that's true for every heritage and culture and what parts are beautiful and redemptive that we should embrace. And so it may be harder, but I pray that uh, all of us would want to be at a place as much as possible where we experience the unifying power of the gospel across various cultures right before our eyes. We're going to take a break, Brittany, but these breaks only give opportunity for folks to learn more about the book, today's resource, It Takes More Than Love, as well as about our guest, Brittany Salmon. Maybe you want to find out ways to have Brittany come and speak, or maybe you want to dive deeper into this Christian guide for navigating the complexities of cross-cultural ministry. I would encourage you to do so. You can find out more at EquipRadio.org. That's EquipRadio.org. While you're there, could you consider partnering with us today, standing with us with a one-time generous gift? It'd be great to have a few friends who say, I'll stand with you at $100 or I'll Uh, donate a monthly gift wherever the Lord allows you to have budget 888-644-4144 is the number or equipradio.org don't go anywhere much more to come next up on Equip Equipped is a unique blend of live Christian teaching, special guests, and call-ins from our listeners. We address the difficult topics in today's culture with cutting-edge answers taken from God's Word and applied to your circumstance. When you give a monthly gift, you become an equipper. You'll receive exclusive benefits and have the satisfaction of knowing that you are doing your part to equip men and women across the country with biblical truth. Become an equipper today. Call 888-644-4144 or go online at EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. What a great conversation we've been able to have today with Brittany Solomon. She's written a book, It Takes More Than Love. She was encouraged to write this book by our good friend Trillia Newbull. I'm glad that Trillia put some Holy Ghost pressure on you 
to uh, ride the book because it's uh, a real gift to the body of Christ. Brittany, talk about adoption allies, who they are, and why they're so important for the journey. You know, I one of the things when we first adopted is we wanted to bring in our, our family and friends. And our church family and our friends and our community, praise God, they were so excited. They were so excited for our family. They wanted to help. They wanted to come alongside us. And really, you know, not everyone should adopt. But I think in the, the especially the church, we can all play a role in supporting adoptive families. And so adoption allies are people who say, hey, I see you. I see what you're doing. And I want to learn more about it. And I think because of the narrative around adoption has been predominantly a, kind of like a beautiful language or maybe oversimplified and, oh, it's beautiful. Adoption's amazing. Allies are people who come in and say, hey, we see, we see this for what it is. It is um, so beautiful, but also it's also heartbreaking. And we want to support you and your family in whatever ways we can. Um, a church can be an adoption ally, teachers, you know, church members. But it's people who say, we, we see the complexities and, and sign us up. Tell us what to do. Yeah, and, and you encourage us to look for them, not to try to go it alone, but to proactively look for them to come alongside. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where when, we've had family and friends who say, hey, we want to be better about this at this and supporting your family. We noticed when your son came over and was playing with our toys, we didn't have, we had a, a, a and so I'm white and my community is predominantly white at the time, back whenever we first adopted Jude, we, we noticed that we only had white toys and white dolls and books with white kids. We're going to, we're going to diversify our library and our toys. Do you have any recommendations? I remember the first time I was asked that question, I wanted to just jump on that person, hug them, kiss them on the forehead and say, thank you. Mm. Thank you for seeing our family for what it is and going into this space with us and making sure that our kid feels safe, loved, and represented in your home. This I mean, this is the gospel. This is the church in action saying we affirm who you are in Christ and we want to celebrate and honor that. And so I, I encourage families to reach out and to look for people who they can have honest conversations with and say, hey, um, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to do this sporting event over here because we notice it's predominantly white. We're actually going to go over to this this city sports league and we're going to put our family in, in sports here. Do y'all want to come with us? Do you want to come watch our kids sports and celebrate with us? And they understand it differently. Whereas to sometimes you say, Hey, we're going to go to this school or Hey, we're going to go to this church. And your friend group goes, well, why, you know, why? Hmm. And you want to find allies and adoption allies where you can say, we believe in being a multicultural family, living a multicultural life. And we want your support in that. And if you can find people who can say, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk beside you in the trauma. I'm going to walk beside you in the grief, I'm going to walk beside you in becoming a multicultural family. We're, we're in it. I mean, they're priceless yes. and they're such a gift. All right, Brittany, we got to land this plane in the heart of the gospel and all of your book centers on the good news that has come through Jesus. And so you end your book with the Lord's Prayer, focus on the Lord's Prayer. So here's my question to you What does it mean for God's people to become a thy kingdom come? type of people? What does that mean? Oh, I love that question. And I love the Lord's Prayer. Um, but it really came alive to me um, during my educational experience. I, I had a, a professor at seminary who made it come alive and say, hey, this is Jesus praying to his father, Heavenly Father, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. And for some reason, I had never connected that we're praying for God's goodness, his redemption, his restorative nature, not just for you know heaven one day, but here and now. And so how can we as gospel-centered people live a life that is all about thy kingdom come here and now? How, we, how can we bring redemption, restoration, be people of peace, people of kindness um, here on earth as it is in heaven right now in 2023? And, and that perspective just kind of shifted into say, all right, for our family, how do we become thy kingdom come people in our churches? How do we become thy kingdom come on earth right now as it is in heaven? How do we make our communities, our schools, our churches a little bit more like heaven right now while we wait in hope for his second coming? Why, how do we do that? And that's just been a question that has been um, stirring in our heart, in our hearts as a family. But then also I've had some church family who've also been praying that here and now. And I think living that out, thy kingdom come, being a thy kingdom come people, opens our eyes to the complexity of adoption and foster care and say, you know what? I'm all in. I'm not all in because it's rose colored and it's going to be easy, but I'm all in because I believe thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven now, not just for the kids, but also for their first families. So we can pray goodness and mercy and hope, not just for our kids' lives and their and their kids and future generations, but we can pray and believe that God will not just redeem our children, but he'll redeem their first families as well. There's so much in this book that we didn't have time to get to. The power of names uh, is really, really important. Mm. That was very, very educational. Uh, you have terms and definitions so that a lot of the uh, language we've used, if you're not familiar with adoptee, adoption triad, um, what it means when we say people of color, birth mom or birth mother, first family, those types of things. If someone doesn't teach you, you just don't know, Brittany. Uh, but like you said, when someone teaches you, it is a gift, and uh, you should celebrate that. Brittany's book is not overwhelming. It's not an academic book. It won't be intimidating to you, but it is chock full of wisdom and practical, biblical guidance to help you uh, through a gospel lens navigate the journey of cross-cultural adoption. Brittany, I can't say thank you enough and please pass our thank you on to Ben as well and the children for allowing you to not only join us today, but even more importantly, to empower adoptive and prospective adoptive families. Thank you so much, Brittany, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me and for being willing to have these conversations. It truly means so much to me. Thank you. Friends, you can find out more at our website, equipradio.org. Brittany's book, again, It Takes More Than Love, A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. But let me just say this. I love the title of the book, but I would also say that it, it, it requires no less than love. And what I mean by that is that love is what compels us to make the required sacrifices, to go on this journey as a loving guide and partner to our children so that they can flourish and experience the fullness of life in Christ and again in the fallen world in a way that brings him glory. Until we're together again next time, remember Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there friends, Chris Brooks here. 
Women in ministry is a topic that generates a lot of questions, like what does the Bible teach about women ministering in their homes and even in the church? We're going to talk about how a woman can discern her calling with a veteran panel of women leaders on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.